Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Humans and Environment. And today we are having conversations about a very important topic that affects all of us and is probably one of the most influential technologies of the past few centuries, and that is nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is a key solution to climate change and historically has been one of the most effective tools for decarbonizing industrial nations. It is one of the cleanest and efficient ways to produce clean energy, and I am so lucky to have my guest today, Eric Meyer, who is the founder and executive director of Generation Atomic, joining me to teach us about nuclear and to tell us about the current state, what's going on, and what the future of nuclear power looks like. Without much ado, here he is. Oh, and another thing. Eric also used to be a professional singer, so if you guys stay long enough, by the end of the episode, he is going to sing us an original, and it is opera, and it is amazing, and yes, it is about nuclear power. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. Welcome. I'm so excited for today's talk on our nuclear future. Great. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. Is there uh, a more uh, interesting or exciting topic to discuss? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> lots of things been going on in the space. What's going on? Oh, man. Uh, it seems like uh, more and more momentum has been picking up in our movements. Back a, a couple months here, we saw uh, nuclear, pro-nuclear demonstrations in I think like 40 different countries uh, happen, which is uh, amazing. Um, there's uh, activity in Canada picking up as well with the formation of a new group called Canadians for Nuclear Energy and a petition now with uh, over 1,500 signatures from the Generation Atomic Front. Uh, we've been busy with uh, a few different projects. Uh, one that's a front of mind for me is... Uh, creating this uh, land use and mining calculator. It's called the Energy Impact Calculator, which lets the user uh, kind of pick the amount of energy they want to uh, decarbonize from kind of a standard coal plant all the way up to the projected electricity demand in 2050 on a global scale, and then see the implications in terms of mining and land use uh, for different types of energy mixes. So oh, wow. yeah, lots of fun stuff. Oh, wow. So why nuclear and taboos around it, of why people fear it so much and why hasn't it been mainstream? Well, we'll, we'll start with the first one. You know, why, why nuclear? Um, I think question can be answered in a few different ways. Uh, one of which is to go back six billion years ago to how uranium was actually created, which was uh, two neutron stars, you know, super dense, almost black holes, super dense stars colliding with each other to form this magnificent element called uranium. Uh, and then, you know, have that, that giant explosion percolate out in the universe, eventually form into the core of our planet, uh, which uh, is actually responsible because of that uranium and thorium uh, in the core of our planet, uh, releasing heat and driving convection. It creates the geo uh, magnetic shield around our planet that even allowed us to have liquid water in the first place. So thanks, uranium, right? It's Thanksgiving yesterday in the U.S. We can say thank you to uranium for that. <laughs> um, 
And then, you know, moreover, you know, fast forward uh, another uh, few billion years uh, <laughs> to the present day when uh, it was uh, men and, and, and women largely in the 20th century have found out, hey, wait a second, we can make energy out of this. And not only uh, is, is this uh, uh, a clean energy, but it's more abundant and energy dense than anything we've ever seen before. It's literally a million times better than fire. We've discovered something that's a million times better than fire. That's <laughs> so cool. Unfortunately, the the first uh, the first way we decided to use that was to make some uh, bombs and you know blow up uh, blow up Japan, uh, <laughs> which understandably left a, a negative taste and a negative perception in many people's minds uh, about the technology. I always wonder, you know, if, if humans were in a little different uh, place uh, when we had discovered it, um, if if things would have gone differently. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it's maybe hard to imagine that we would have become as peaceful as we are today without it, in a way. Uh, now that we have that, you know, mutually assured destruction, as it were, that uh, that deterrence, you, we haven't seen uh, global wars break out on a scale uh, as they did 70 years ago. Um, so that's something I, I love. I love that uh, the generals of the time, like Dwight Eisenhower, saw the promise of the technology to actually bring about peace and universal prosperity and abundance, because that's what nuclear power really represents is uh, kind of the, the end of, of scarcity as we know it. We're not even really used to uh, that being a possibility as humans that we are always running out of things. But when you have something like uranium, where uh, even after, after we've mined all the stuff uh, on land, there's 4 billion tons of it in, uh, in the ocean. Uh, and then we can go on to thorium and re recycling uh, uh, our existing nuclear waste. Like we're, we're not gonna run out of this stuff. And if you have a cheap, abundant source of energy, you can recycle the, the rest of it. Uh, so I guess that's, that's the thing we're really trying to get across uh, with a lot of our efforts is that Nuclear power represents an entirely new paradigm for human civilization. And we haven't, yeah. it's right within our grasp, but we haven't quite uh, embraced it yet. So what are some of these roadblocks of you? I love that out outlook about nuclear being about peace and abundance because, you know, on a chemistry level, you're right. It's just this infinite energy supply that's right at our fingertips, spreading this message and how what have you kind of run into when you explain this like what are some common things that people push back at you pushing up against uh decades of fear and, and misinformation uh and you know back back in the 60s and 70s it was duck and cover that kind of trauma uh, associated with looming threat of a global nuclear war <laughs> with the soviet union you know, in the 70s, we had Three Mile Island. In the 80s, it was Chernobyl. In the 90s, we had The Simpsons. <laughs> That's where right, I got my right. initial <laughs> nuclear education. I guess I can't really help when the media is always portraying like these nuclear leaks. And then all of a sudden you have babies that have three arms kind of coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's certainly how it's depicted in, in television and in and, and movies. Whereas like, if you, if you look at the uh, scale of the uh, radiological events that have happened. Um, Chern Chernobyl's 
the worst. And now you have the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the Chernobyl Tissue Bank pointing to the evidence and saying, okay, well, maybe we're going to get around 160 deaths total now. And uh, most of those uh, at the outset, those that's you know, injury, uh, injuries from uh, acute radiation syndrome. And then, you know, down the road, thyroid cancer, which is one of the easiest to treat. And uh, also one of the easiest to prevent if, if, uh, uh, if the Soviet Union had just been upfront, hey, we had a, a release, uh, everybody take iodine tablets, you won't have any of that. Uh, but uh, yeah, and of course, uh, it's pretty easy to Photoshop a three-armed baby and, and blame it on a, a nuclear plant. There's plenty of that with Fukushima too, where it's like pasting pictures of totally natural mutations in, in daisies and being like, oh, look at, look at what Fukushima did. Uh, it's really easy to create fake news on the subject, uh, much, much harder to refute it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How commonplace is nuclear energy right now in the world? Yeah, uh, well, it makes a tenth of all uh, electricity uh, on the planet. So it's like 440 uh, nuclear reactors running in several countries. And it's the second largest source of carbon-free electricity in the world, uh, right after hydro. Uh, it's actually the largest in North America and Europe. Little tidbit for you. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty pretty common way to generate electricity. I think it should be a lot more common at this at this point in time. And you always wonder what might the world look like if uh, we had reacted differently to Three Mile Island and, and Chernobyl and if the the nuclear industry of the past had, you know, been able to put it in the perspective that was needed, which is that even in the worst possible case, which was Chernobyl, you have something that is safer than a coal plant in normal operation, putting out pollution in the air into people's lungs. Uh, you know, coal kills about 10,000 people every single day. And in the entire history of nuclear, you're looking at, you know, maybe up to 4,000 if you take the, the absolute most conservative projections from World Health Organization, but probably closer to about 200. <laughs> it, it's, it's insane when you put it in that perspective, but they, you know, they, the industry kind of uh, put, put their head in the sand and just hoped people would forget about them. And as a result, that left it up to uh, anti-nuclear activists to in Hollywood, et cetera, to tell their story for them. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a shame. You wonder what where where we could have been by now, but uh, you know, the second best time to uh, start achieving that future, achieving that dream, is today. How much of this do you think is because of profit making and capitalism? You know, when we have industries like oil and gas and other biofuels and solar industry and hydro, is it because atomic energy has to compete with all these other industries of why it can't get more mass adoption? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because uh, I, I don't think nuclear energy is inherently uh, unprofitable. And, and in fact, you have to put all kinds of constraints in terms of uh, uh, regulation um, and also, you know, not giving it credit for being a, the carbon uh, neutral uh, source that it is in order to have it not compete with natural natural gas needs to be able to pollute for free uh, and uh, have a much easier uh, regulations in general in order to beat nuclear and uh, wind and solar 
uh, they get all kinds of uh, benefits through subsidies, but also through uh, having a strong electricity grid to back them up. Um, and that gives them the economic advantage over nuclear. So nu nuclear doesn't really get any of those, those perks as it were, but it still uh, remains one of the more competitive sources. Um, as far as capitalism, you know, the, the most successful uh, build outs of, of rapid build outs of, of clean uh, energy have been with hydro and, and nuclear. Uh, and one of these was in uh, France under a very uh, more of, a, I guess you would say, kind of a socialist uh, government and economy where it was like, hey, uh, this is a national security issue. We can't have our country reliant on hydrocarbons from the Middle East. Let's build a whole bunch of nuclear plants. And then what happened 12 years later, they had de decarbonized their entire electricity grid. <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of the timescale we need right now to consider uh, uh, having the best chance of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So we should be looking at the historical examples of where that actually happened. And that was that was France under a much more of a it, it wasn't a, a free market type of decision that that did that. It was very much a top down. Uh, let's get to work, build these things out. Uh, and yeah, it's a good, it's a good model. I think we should think about following at this point. So is nuclear fully renewable? Yes, I would say so. Uh, so the, the official definition of if something's renewable or not is that it is naturally replenished, uh, over the course of time by the flows of nature. Uh, and when you think about how, uh, the, uh, ocean contains 4 billion tons of uranium. And if you take uranium out of the ocean, more uranium is leached back into it from uh, the seafloor. Uh, I think that qualifies under the technical definition of renewable. Uh, yet we we haven't seen that uh, information because because the like mining of uranium from seawater isn't uh, isn't done on any commercial scale and has just been you know, proven in a lab. We haven't seen that definition catch on. But uh, yeah, we have a we have a petition. Uh, that we're going to launch uh, shortly to reclassify uranium as a renewable fuel. Uh, as I'm excited to see how many people we can get to sign that and see if we can get the conversations going in uh, various regulatory and governmental agencies that decide what's renewable and what isn't. I guess once you guys create this energy, the byproduct of that can be extracted again and put back into the system and then created more nuclear energy? Yeah, yeah. So there's <laughs> there's a few different flavors of uranium, um, uh, aka isotopes. <laughs> I like to call them different okay. flavors. Uh, but the, the most right. common is uh, uranium-238. Uh, and uh, so it has uh, 238 uh, uh, neutrons in its core. Um, and what that uh, means is uh, that particular uranium is, isn't actually useful in the regular reactors we use today. Um, it doesn't it doesn't fission, it doesn't split uh, under the, the kind of slower speed uh, neutrons that we use in our uh, more common reactors. Um, but uh, the other flavor of uranium, uranium-235 is much rarer, uh, but it, it does work. So, um, Right now, today, our nuclear fuel is like three to five percent of this uh, U two thirty five, this this extra tasty uranium, and the rest of it is composed of uranium two thirty eight, which is you know chemically the same, so it doesn't react weird um, 
and it all binds together. Uh, so right now we're we're using the 235 and we're throwing away the rest of the 238 when we could be, uh, and we, we still could in the future, we should uh, be using that uranium 238 in a different type of reactor called the fast reactor uh, to utilize the rest of that energy. You know, I mean, we have our system right now, uh, it only uh, extracts, um, you know, around one to 2% of the energy value of that fuel that you could extract. And with the next generation reactors, we're going to use a lot more of it. Um, and, uh, you know, recent, recent developments in the U.S. where we've, we have this advanced reactor demonstration program kicking off are going to help do that. Uh, one of the reactors that's being built is a fast reactor. Uh, and once it's constructed in Idaho, and they're, they're saying like five to seven years, uh, we'll be uh, proving that out. Um, the Russians already have done it and commercialized a, <laughs> a fast reactor, but hey, we're, we're catching up. <laughs> if nuclear energy is so powerful, these nuclear reactors, why do we have to optimize them so much to be faster? Uh, I'm just curious about that. Like, is that where the technology is focused on? When yeah. Um, well, when I when I say like faster or slower, it's it's kind of there's like nuclear physics reasons. Um for, for that, and I, I don't wanna to get too into the weeds, but um, essentially the faster a neutron is moving around, the, the less likely it's gonna make a, a collision with a nucleus and and uh, and that cause that nucleus to split up. Um, so back in the day when they were uh, designing the first uh, nuclear power reactors and the reactors for submarines, it made a lot of sense to slow the neutrons down and they did this uh, with a variety of materials. Uh, sometimes uh, graphite early early on worked really well for this, um, uh, but then they decided to go to water. Um, so it was just like a really practical way um, to make reactors that worked uh, reliably. Uh, and if you're, if you're gonna oh. use something, if you're gonna use a, do a fast reactor, then you have to use a different type of coolant that doesn't slow the neutrons down, things like, liquid sodium, which uh, I don't know if you ever remember from chemistry class, uh, your teacher like dropping a cube of sodium into a glass of water or something and uh, watching that explode. <laughs> uh, so there are all uh, kinds of uh, materials challenges that are associated with using fast neutrons um, as opposed to uh, thermal spectrum ones or just let's call it slow neutrons for simplicity's sake. I guess it's always a storage issue as well, because if you have atomic chemical reactions that happen so fast, how do you capture that energy? Mm -hmm. And if you don't contain that process and have it controlled really well, um, that you can have another Chernobyl again, right? Or is that not? <laughs> well, you know, gosh, we've we've learned a lot since uh, since even Chernobyl was, that's like, you know, 1960s technology uh, that had an accident right. 20 some years later. And there are still, uh, you know, don't tell anyone, but there are still uh, 11 reactors that are the same uh, style as Chernobyl in operation today. <laughs> um, but oh no, where are those? You gotta tell us they're called, they're, they're in uh, Russia and Ukraine. They're, they're called the RBMKs. Um, there's, the thing is uh, there are, there are ways to engineer reactors that make them inherently safe because of the laws of physics uh, instead of a uh, engineered safety system. Um, and that's 
what all of the next generation reactors have uh, set out as a as a goal. Uh, some do this by uh, making the reactor vessels a, a certain shape and running at a certain heat, so it's impossible for them to ever overheat. Some do it by having the uh, fuel already in a liquid melted state because you can't melt if you're already melted, right? <laughs> uh, and others do it by uh, changing the the fuel uh, to have uh, like a carbide inside of it so that if it ever did overheat, all of the uh, radioactive like fission products would be locked inside of it. Um, and that's called triso fuel. Uh, that's the other um, uh, advanced reactor demonstration um, program company. Uh, X Energy is using these like uh, pool ball uh, or maybe the, you know, the size of an orange uh, <laughs> fuel, fuel balls that uh, do this kind of thing. It's like a meltdown proof fuel. So there's lots of ways to do it. Um, maybe in the early days, uh, the engineers who were working on this were uh, a little too slap happy and <laughs> they didn't have uh, computers to model how things would behave and there wasn't as much knowledge about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, just to keep it in perspective, even the absolute worst case scenario you had in Chernobyl where there's no containment structure, the reactor's literally on fire for multiple days and the, the public wasn't informed, we're gonna see in total probably less than 200 deaths. <laughs> so um, so I think you know uh, people that support nuclear often, often fall into the trap of like talking about how many safety systems there are and how, how well they work and, how it's you know just going through the motions of, of of talking about how safe this thing is without actually uh, leaving in the conclusion that uh, uh, it's already the safest way to generate electricity. So it's harder it's hard to get safer than safest at this point. <laughs> I just wanted to get past the myths of nuclear energy because it seems like it's always because of that fear, mm -hmm. you know, and it's at the top of mind all the time. For some reason, when you think nuclear, you instantly associate it with like, yeah. not safe or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bomb. I wish, you know, when you think of nuclear instead, you'd, you'd think about the uh, NASA study done by uh, James Hansen that shows that nuclear power has saved about 2 million lives since its inception, just by displacing uh, fossil generation and the pollution that's associated with that. Because uh, we have very good public health data on uh, how many deaths that cause, how many cancers, how much heart disease, uh, and how much asthma. And uh, it's a very, very real public health threat that we never think about. Um, and when, when you hear coal plant, it doesn't, it doesn't like uh, put the hair up on the back of your neck uh, <laughs> when thinking about all those pollution rate related deaths, when in fact it is, you know, multiple uh, orders of magnitude more dangerous. Uh, even in normal operation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I feel like nuclear is so good. It's such a shame that it's such a struggle to get it more mainstream and we have to fight for it mm -hmm. so hard. Yeah. You know, why are there so many big forces that are sort of kind of against it? Yeah. Um, but even in the green space, mm -hmm. Greenpeace, for example, what is their take on why they don't want more nuclear and they're pushing more what solar and wind you know one of the things greenpeace will cite uh often is uh this the nuclear waste the spent nuclear fuel 
And if you watch their communications, they'll often uh, quote it in uh, something like kilograms or pounds or whatever uh, unit of of mass <laughs> uh, that that sounds big and scary uh, because the the volume of the material is quite small. Uh, it's such, it's so energy dense. You could fit all of the nuclear waste ever produced in in the U.S. on a single football field, uh, about ten yards deep. Or uh, you know, put another way, uh, it, it could all fit in a single Walmart. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's there's not a lot, and it's literally never killed anyone in in history. <laughs> uh, so there's there's not a, a a whole lot to back up these criticisms. Um, but they're really good at getting people to uh, donate and sign petitions because uh, it kind of it speaks to uh, the emotional uh, center of your brain, which uh, is is more motivating than facts and figures. <laughs> For sure. I have another science related mm -hmm. question. Um, it sounds to me that the controversy of nuclear energy is sort of related to like radiation. So if nuclear energy involves like, I guess, splitting of these atoms and combining them to create this new powerful energy source, can we use something else that's not like radiating like uranium? Does it have to be those elements? Yeah, um, there's so there's only uh, three fissile that's like able to be split um, uh, elements that uh, that will uh, that could work for nuclear energy. Uh, one of them is uranium, uh, like I mentioned, uh, 235 uh, uh, and 238 in a fast reactor because it turns into plutonium 239 and that you can fission. <laughs> um, the other one is uranium, uranium turns yeah, into plutonium. Yeah, so that's that's how fast reactors wow. work is uh, once you hit uranium 238 uh, um, atom with, with a neutron, it's uh, it turns into uh, uranium-239, and then it, uh, over the, the course of uh, a few hours, uh, turns into plutonium-239. <laughs> uh, and at that point, then you can, you can fission it, and it will uh, make, make some energy for you. Um, similarly, uh, thorium, uh, once you hit that with the neutron turns into thorium-233. And then over the course of uh, days in this uh, couple, I think it's th about three weeks in this case, it turns into uranium-233. And that's that's the, the special um, tasty flavor of uranium that will make some energy for you. Um, do, are all of these radioactive? Yes, um, but uh, are they dangerous? Uh, no, uh, not like you, you could hold a, a ball of thorium in your hand. Uh, it has a you know, half-life of uh, 14 billion years. So it's like <laughs> as as long as, <laughs> you know, the longer the half-life, uh, it makes it barely radioactive. Really short half-life means this thing is, is uh, constantly decaying and shooting radiation out. But a really long one means it's like almost totally stable. Uh, so yeah, all of these things are radioactive, but that doesn't mean they actually uh, will hurt you. And at any rate, you probably would never be in a situation where uh, you would be in contact with this stuff anyway, because they, they keep such close care of it because they're worried about 
um, you know, proliferation risks and uh, everything else. Uh, they really got a lock on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what about something like a hydrogen atom? You know, it's, if you split that, there's a ton of energy there. Yeah, well, right? if you, uh, hydrogen is usually talked about in the context of fusion. Um, but so actually putting atoms together, uh, and in this case, you get, you get helium, <laughs> which is uh, number two and there's, but there's energy released, uh, uh, in, in doing that. So you can't, you can't really split up a, a hydrogen. Well, I guess you can, but, um, you're just getting, you know, protons and electrons, uh, flying around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering about this the formula of creating nuclear energy. So you said that there's only three, I guess, elements that you can use to create nuclear energy currently right now with the reactors yep. that exist. Yep, in uh, isotopes specifically. Um, you know, th- there's other, right. there's f- flavors of these elements that, that won't do much for you and you need to actually turn them into something else. Um, but yeah, uranium-233, uranium-235, and plutonium-239, which you can get from uranium-238. Um, those, those are the, the magical ones that, uh, and it has people tried with other elements. Sorry, I'm being so like, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, if it's about splitting and combining atoms to create mm-hmm. an energy output, why not take something like somewhere else on the periodic table that's, that can turn into like salt? Like, what about like just, um, sodium, Chloride, right? NaCl, you know something similar yeah. like table salt. Uh, Can we do that? Short answer is is no. <laughs> um, the The reason that uh, these are the the elements that work for this is because once they split, they uh, produce an extra neutron that can shoot off and split another um, uh, another atom, uh, another nucleus. Because uh, if we don't have that extra neutron then the reaction just stops. Then we have to keep adding energy to it to get to do what we want rather than having a chain reaction where it just uh, sustains and, and, and gotcha. makes more energy, more heat. Yeah, leave it up to uh, warfare to d- discover what's more powerful <laughs> than <like> a bomb. <laughs> that's the most energy. And that's why I kind of brought up hydrogen as well, right? Because yeah. there's hydrogen bombs. Yep. And- very, very large destructive weapons. Um, just, I was just reading reading a book about uh, it's called Atomic Accidents about some of the the tests that surprised even the, the scientists who are running them where they thought oh this is you know this is going to do about you know five kilotons so we can we can uh, be this far away to observe it and it should be fine but uh, there you know there's certain uh, aspects of of the reaction they didn't fully understand and it ends up being twenty two kilotons and oh gosh now we got a real problem on our hands. Um, oh my gosh. So yeah, there's a really uh, interesting history uh, as to how we developed our understanding of of the universe in general, I guess, um, through experiments with these types of uh, exotic uh, elements and uh, how they react with each other. A funny story. Um, remember, I don't know if you remember, there was this handbook called the Jolly no. Roger Handbook. And No, I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, that? I'm American, so maybe we, we didn't have that one. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, so there was this formula for thermite and I was in advanced chem, I guess, in, in high school. And we took some stuff from the lab to create some thermite and we put it into like 
my um, ex-boyfriend's backyard and it was kind of I forgot was it was like aluminum shavings I forgot what the formula was Mm -hmm. right now but we had this big aluminum like little trail that we lit and we ran but at well court like a foot and a half down into the cement formulas were out there for kids to grab off the internet yeah you know this is ringing a bell I think we called it the the anarchist's cookbook oh yeah I think that (laughs) exactly it was that but like the early days of what that was and so like, oh my God, thank God we yeah. close. Like, still, like still have all the fingers and toes. That's, that's good news. <laughs> yeah, we didn't blow myself up. We're like, okay, mm. we're not going to do that again. Um, but we can actually do with uh, mm-hmm. combining chemicals and certain formulas for sure. Okay, mm. well, getting back on track, um, climate change and nuclear energy. Um, what does nuclear add to solving some of these issues now facing yeah. humanity? Um, well, we're—I mean, what what are what are the issues we're talking about, right? Well, there's a water scarcity for for a second. Um, you know, we've got we have a shifting climate, changing weather patterns. There are uh, part parts of the world that uh, are very much uh, in in danger of. Uh, I think, like in India, for example, is, is supposed to. Uh, not have enough uh, water um, uh, by 2050. Uh, like the uh, Himalayas are, are going to kind of be exhausted of, of their water supplies. So nuclear affords us the chance of desalinating from the ocean uh, unlimited quantities of water. So we're no longer uh, so um, vulnerable to large-scale droughts. So that's that's good, and we, and with that 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 comes irrigation. So our our crops, if we don't get the rain, same thing. We can we can get water uh, from desalination. Uh, so there's there's one right there. Um, uh, how about how about cancer? Uh, nuclear is already used to create medical isotopes for uh, diagnosing and treating different diseases. Uh, that's being done at a at a greater rate now. Um, we're seeing seeing that industry really grow, so that's fun. Hopefully, that medicine will will continue to come down in price. So, there's just uh, the you know climate change. Uh, it's a huge issue. Uh, it could result in um, the entire uh, collapse of the oceanic food chain if uh, carbon emissions are not reduced pretty significantly by the end of the century because of ocean acidification so yeah and maybe even our soil being depleted right with the mining and the habitat destructions of trying to extract some of these yeah. fossil fuels and mining going in there and not having a restoration mm-hmm. plant afterwards and killing the homes of all these animals that are kind of um, have nowhere to go and leading to again the pandemic of animals and wildlife mm. getting closer to where humans live yeah. as well that's a big issue um yeah, it's so interconnected, all of our systems environmentally, that I really think nuclear, to be able to contain it, uh, creating a, a powerful energy source without mm-hmm. having to use so much land. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up uh, uh, soil because it, it made me think of deforestation. Um, you know, it's uh, almost 10% of the electricity in the UK is generated from uh, trees that were cut down in in the U.S., <laughs> uh, turned into little wood pellets and put on a boat and sh- shipped across the sea. Uh, yeah. The, what? The oh my God, Drax, that's so uh, The Drax uh, combined fuel, it's, it's coal and, and biomass plant uh, in the U.K., which uh, produces 
uh, something like, yeah, I think it's about 10% of uh, UK's electricity. Um, so <laughs> with with nuclear, it's so what, why are we burning trees to begin with? Um, it's the, the reason is that uh, for the UK, they, they don't have a, a easily obtainable and reliable supply of natural gas, right? Like we, we do now in, in the US and in Canada, thanks to fracking. So their options are burn coal, which is uh, not really in vogue, <laughs> not a good thing to do, or uh, burn trees. Okay. Uh, and uh, up until now, uh, trees are considered, biomass is considered a renewable resource and you can get green energy credits for that. Uh, despite it having such a negative impact on uh, habitat and, and biodiversity. Um, there's, they're kind of, they're really good at kind of greenwashing and saying, oh, well, these are, you know, marginal forest lands. This is waste wood. It's, you know, it's sawdust on the floor. But you go and you look at these actual uh, projects and uh, you see that, no, they're, sometimes it, it is virgin forest. And, uh, and other times they're mixing in stuff like, railroad ties that have uh, creosote and other chemicals that cause health problems. So with nuclear, we can just say goodbye to biomass forever. We can close that chapter on humanity, burning trees for electricity. Um, you know, I get why we needed it at one point, but let's let trees be trees. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we do that with Quantaloupe. And what we do is when we go into a project such as our pilot project in Cal mm -hmm. uh, California called Calvin Crest, so after a wildfire, for example, there needs to be cleanup done. And there is actually a lot of biomass there because you can't just leave a burnt down tree because it's actually very mm -hmm. heavy CO2 um, released into the air from that. So that there is thing for biomass there, yeah. but the transport alone is the problem. Like you said, it doesn't have a net positive impact for the planet. So just transporting that biomass and then putting the energy it requires to extract new energy out of that mm -hmm. is actually really bad for the planet. So there is a lot of waste that needs to be converted into something reusable again, like a clean energy, but to ship it overseas. I mean, that just yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you said there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. And there are definitely uh, many, many cases where, you know, bio biochar can be a, a good thing for um, soil fertilization as well. And there, there are ways we can, we can uh, get to a circular economy with, with forests and forest, ma forest management needs to, needs to occur most definitely. But Man, I, I just don't want to be in a place where where countries feel the need uh, to to do this kind of thing. Um, they they should have they do have better options uh, ahead of them. Uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And that um, you use the word circular economy as well because it's this whole system about the the net positive. And a lot of times when people look at something like a biomass, they look at just the toe print of it but the total carbon footprint or you know that it actually is doing overall um, needs to be looked at as well um, I think nuclear is one of the efficient and optimal way the board right when it comes to land and yeah. how much tiny, it creates tiny footprint. and uh, yeah that's i'm, I'm so excited mm -hmm. to uh, be able to you know release this calculator in the near future and uh, see how people uh, react to it and uh, see the kind of transformations in their perspective on energy uh, uh, and the footprint of different types of energy, how they change uh, because of that exercise. I think it's, it's going to be a pretty powerful thing.
surprised that the calculator like that does not yeah, exist. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, there's there's things that help you calculate the cost of your electricity. Um, you know, the percentage of your electricity that could come from clean sources in theory, uh, stuff like that exists, but nothing on what the actual environmental impact of creating all that new infrastructure would be. How many um, local communities right now are using nuclear or is this more like implemented on a federal level? Um, I just don't know the landscape like that. Like mm -hmm. if I was a small town reliant on my power grid, that's whatever's provided by my, my municipality, I'm assuming. So if we were to push nuclear a little bit more, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, the new reactors that are coming out around the corner will enable uh, smaller communities uh, to be able to afford them. Um, I think the you know test case for that in some ways is the UAMPS uh, project in uh, Utah and Idaho area, where a group of uh, thirty some municipalities have uh, pooled their resources to purchase electricity from the New Scale Power Plant that's going to be constructed in, at Idaho National Lab there. Uh, but yeah, historically, I mean, nuclear plants are pretty big. They're making like anywhere from on the low end, 700 megawatts to like uh, 2.4 gigawatts, so 2,400 megawatts in uh, uh, Arizona, uh, APS, uh, Arizona Power Service, Palo Verde station. Um, so if it's that case it's not just powering one city it's it's you know millions of people over a large region which is hard to even uh, imagine in a way but uh that's it's pretty cool that you can have you know a thousand people all work in a building and all get paid six figures and uh provide millions of people carbon-free electricity with that and just have those jobs be there for uh, 60 to 80 years, or even, I guess, 100, if you include uh, eventual decommissioning, uh, it seems like a pretty good bargain for uh, society. Help me break down some of that math of what that means by a gigawatt and how much each person needs to run yeah. for a city of a million people, for example, would you need one uh, power plant? Depending plant? on what size. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You could, you could easily power a city of a, a million people with uh, a, you know, a gigawatt scale uh, traditional large light water reactor like we have 400 some uh, around the world uh, and yeah and you could do it constantly for uh, two years uh, at a time before you know you need to turn it off and for a little bit and put some new fuel in it and that's that's pretty remarkable right you just have your house <laughs> wow yeah for a large group of people uh, if we add more you know we're just talking about electricity right now but we're able to add a lot of nuclear, then we can start decarbonizing the other parts of uh, the other sources of emissions, like uh, transportation fuels. You know, you can like go to the gas station, fill up your. Uh, I'm I'm guessing you don't drive a Hummer, <laughs> Sandra, but um, was, let's say you did. You wanted to, but you always felt too guilty because of the environmental consequences. If we're making carbon neutral fuels with uh, an energy source like nuclear, then you can go and fill it up with guilt-free gasoline, knowing that uh, you're not hurting the environment. The carbon in the hydrocarbon that you're putting in your tank was extracted from the environment from direct air capture. And that hydrogen was made with a zero carbon energy source. So boom, 
you don't have to feel bad anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, it's such a, right a huge part and it's, it's uh, finally getting into the discussion more and more in, in clean energy circles, green hydrogen and the green hydrogen economy. But um, I think people often confuse uh, the use, usefulness of um, fossil fuels with the usefulness of uh, a, a liquid source of energy or a, a, a gaseous uh, source of energy, just energy in those formats so we can send them through pipes so we can put them in gas tanks. Like that's really helpful to have that kind of, so we can put it in the you know tanks, tanks of airplanes. Just having energy in that form is super important. So if we can create energy in that form without digging it out of the ground and, and suffering all the negative environmental uh, consequences that are a part of that, then uh, then we got it made. Then, then we can have enough for everybody forever. <laughs> So cool since so much of our society is obviously reliant on energy and mm -hmm. we can't not live without yeah. it at all. I'm, I'm excited to see how much progress we've had in just the last couple of years with the uh, legislation we've passed in the US, uh, the, the Nuclear Energy Innovation Modernization Act, uh, Nuclear Energy uh, Innovation Capabilities Act, and now the Nuclear Energy Leadership Act. Uh, there's, it's been one of the most bipartisan things uh, in the U.S. government, and now even with the the transition to a new administ administration, uh, it's clear there's going to be a continuation and perhaps uh, acceleration of this type of activity. Uh, just from what's being said, it's it's part of the Build Back Better plan that that Joe Biden's been talking about. Um, yeah, nuclear's going to take a, a central role, thankfully, in the future of uh, energy infrastructure because it means less habitat is negatively impacted and it means a speedier uh, transition to a low carbon economy. It's like this really starts with the education of it. So thank you for everything yeah, that you're doing. I appreciate doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, we do what we can. You know, we're just we're just one small part of a, a large ecosystem of, of actors and stakeholders. But it's really cool to see the community start to kind of coalesce around a central message and really start to have some success. Uh, is there big rallies or anything that people can join? And how do people learn more if they want sure. to? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, at action. the moment we've uh, issued some of the rallies, I think, partially in, in COVID concerns. Um, but there are some burgeoning uh, social media groups. Uh, like you definitely want to follow Generation Atomic. Uh, once, you know, once you're in there, you have the option uh, of, of taking action, just doing a, a simple uh, few clicks, uh, you know, to spend a couple minutes to personalize a message that we've written for you to your legislator and start building that relationship so that they know they have constituents that, that care about this and, and have good reasons for doing so and, uh, and, and be a resource to your, your, your politicians eventually where uh, uh, they know that if they're going to go to bat for, say, a 100% clean energy standard instead of a 100% renewable uh, portfolio that uh, they you have their back and that the science has their back on that and that they're supporting that des this decision um, because uh, actually on the state and provincial level is where we are furthest behind uh, in terms of uh, getting political acceptance. So, you know, follow our stuff, do some of these actions and kind of get uh, get your foot in the door to 
saving uh, a little piece of the world in your neighborhood. Uh, you know, we have advocacy trainings, we have volunteer meetings and things like that. So we're a really good community to join. Uh, there are also other great ones in Canada, like Canadians for Nuclear Energy and, uh, and others around the world. So uh, yeah, get plugged in if you want to make a difference. I'm wondering if there was an easier way to kind of push the story and change that narrative in people's minds. Um, mm -hmm. Even with the platform like Quantum Loop and us having this discussion on this podcast right now, uh, you know, doing these protests can kind of sometimes be off-putting. And when you look at people holding signs and pushing, wondering if there was a better approach to, faster approach to getting it to people's heads that nuclear energy is the cleanest energy and it's better and then then it kind of like get the people's movement going so that lawmakers mm -hmm. kind of perk up themselves and i wonder because we're always on these devices and now more and more we're not able yeah. to go out and do rallies and it's not safe so maybe it's a way through media or a video game or putting maybe education yeah. inside of like a cool no no I, i'm totally it's on the same page i mean we've we've done uh things in that vein uh and i, I always dream about doing more um just as a, a short example uh we did a uh, educational outreach program at idaho national lab last year where uh, one of the things we did was play this uh runaround tag game uh, at this art festival uh, we played this game called Climate Clash, and uh, in it, the kids had to team up as different clean energy sources, wind, solar, nuclear, and hydro, uh, against the fossil fuel team to try to uh, extract these carbon balls from the environment as, as fast as possible. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so fun. It's such a <laughs> good way it. to teach kids about uh, the importance of doing that but also the behaviors of different types of energy systems. Cause we would have things like, Oh, Oh, it's a cloudy day. Oh, none of the solar can, you guys can't run around and, and tag people and, you know, extract your, your carbon balls right now. Oh, the wind died down. Uh oh, a nuclear plant has to refuel. Uh, so kids got to see how, you know, it, it kind of uh, takes uh, multiple sources backing each other up in different ways to be successful. Uh, and it's also just yeah. from taking it from a digital platform and then have it in their minds of like, oh, this is actually real life. We can actually implement that. So there still needs to be yeah. like some kind of like cognitive connect to those two things that it's, it's sort of like, this is not just fantasy. You're playing online. Like, um, what's that one where you live underground? Okay. Um, Fallout. Yeah. Fallout shelter. That would be an yeah, fallout. That would be a perfect. <laughs> yeah, one it's kind of it's kind of taught example, people right? something else about yeah. nuclear, right? That uh, it's uh, the quickest way to a uh, dystopian apocalypse, <laughs> right? So yeah, it'd be nice <laughs> for them to kind of you know, yeah. maybe redeem yeah. that uh, uh, negative nuclear uh, pop culture they put out there. You know, I've always wanted The Simpsons to to come out with a uh, episode where uh, Homer and you know whatever lisa are teaming up to save the plant or something <laughs> um, for sure and i think there needs to be some responsibility mm -hmm. on some of these content creators out there because they are so influential that you're actually trying to offset yeah. some of the damage that they've done right it's even me even knowing sure. this kind of stuff is i'm just speaking for myself of how i see nuclear and i i'm so heavily mm -hmm. culturally 
conditioned to think, oh, nuclear is still this. And even though we had this conversation, I get it. But then to get to kind of like be that person to change somebody else's mind is such Mm -hmm. a hard thing to do. I mean, I'm Uh, I want to help you with this cause for sure. Yeah. Um, Not you, but humanity (laughs) with pushing yeah no absolutely and then you know i think your idea of a uh a a game is a really really fun one you know we need more methods that can scale uh we have a terraforming mars board game that uh was pretty successful and sold a lot of copies around the world but we don't have a terraforming earth game uh that that can uh, allow people to confront the the climate crisis and um i'd i'd love to see just like terraforming mars the board game became a uh, a mobile app and uh, I think a, a PC game. Uh, eventually, I'd love to see uh, a version that uh, that's about saving the world uh, in, in a real way. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Civilization. And back in the day, we had those different games. Um, what's that called? Stardew Valley. Yeah, um, there's definitely ones for farming, yeah. and there's ones for tree Stuff planting. Like yeah, it needs to be one that actually talks about other aspects of things being degenerative and mm-hmm. and yeah. more eco-education related. Um, hey, with your, uh, you, you got some experience in the, the gaming uh, industry. Maybe uh, maybe you can help pull together something to uh, to fit the bill. I will help in yeah. any way I can. Awesome. Game. <laughs> or games. Okay. Yeah, but speaking of cool things um, to get people engaged, <laughs> I yep. know that you also sing about nuclear. So I'm hoping that you will do us honors and give us a little something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the most recent musical endeavor uh, that I embarked on was to collaborate with uh, hip hop artist, Baba Brinkman uh, on a rap song about, about nuclear power. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. No we way. should, that you know, you know so post cool. the link to it in the show notes, uh, or people just you want to Google, boom, bright future. Uh, oh no, no, send me the links for sure. I'll put in the show notes. Yeah, as well as ways um, to contact you. Absolutely. You uh, that being said, but... that song, it it had me on vocals in the chorus, but um, we kind of made it the stylistic decision that uh, full full balls to the wall opera singing was maybe incompatible with a rap song, (laughs) Um, you know, just, uh, it just (laughs) didn't really need any melismas. (laughs) Um, so, uh, uh, my, my, the, the song I wrote, uh, most recently, it's like almost like a year ago now. And I'm like, man, I really should write a few new tunes now. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's something you get out of the habit of doing and you just don't do but <clears throat> um, how many have you written in total let's see 11 i guess <laughs> um so yeah some are about uh how good the future could be uh some are about how uh, fossil fuels uh can kill you <laughs> um that's uh <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, they kind of run the gamut. The the very first one I did was to the tune of an aria from La Boheme uh, called uh, Fekiet Simara Senti. And uh, in, in that one, in the original version, uh, he's 
singing goodbye to his coat because he has to sell his coat to buy medicine for his uh, very sick friend who has tuberculosis. <laughs> so he's just like singing this like goodbye aria to his favorite coat. <laughs> um, and my version, uh, it's, it's kind of about saying goodbye to the earth as it once was. Uh, and it's, it's told from uh, uh, the perspective of the, of the future. Do you have competitors in this? Yeah, space? Other people not opera specifically. Opera? Uh, there's a uh, uh, New Zealand uh, group, a Kiwi group called Him and the Layers. And uh, they recently released a parody of Hallelujah. Uh, you know, the classic Leonard Cohen song. Uh, <laughs> but it's Holly Nuclear uh -huh. instead. <laughs> so that's... That's a good time. Um, and the video is amazing because they are um, almost naked, maybe naked, uh, behind, just behind their guitars. And they're just like up all up in some trees and on the beach in New Zealand. And it's, you know, it's where Lord of the Rings was filmed. So it's amazing. <laughs> and they're uh, just really getting into it. It's quite, quite funny. Yeah, this is uh, one of my yeah, favorite songs to sing. Uh, it's uh, originally an Italian aria called O Sole, o Sole Mio that uh, Elvis did a version of called It's Now or Never. And uh, my version is called Clean Power Forever. <laughs> um, we filmed a music video of this, the Breeder Reactor in, in Idaho. Uh, it was an amazing time. And then uh, uh, I rewrote some of the lyrics to make it kind of a, a energy inclusive futuristic vision of the future. Uh, <laughs> it's a little redundant, but uh, if you, <laughs> uh, so here, I'll, uh, I'll sing a little bit of, of it for you now. Uh, there you go. Sorry, wrong one. <laughs> King power whatever Wind, nuclear, solar, up to the task. Hydro, geothermal, to clean power forever. No CO2. When we first started to burn fossil fuels, no one was worried about CO2. No one could ever guess the cost of all this progress. Oh, I mean, world we must address at last. Clean power ever within our grasp. Wind, nuclear, solar up to the task. Hydro, geothermal too. Clean power forever, our world made new. When wind is blowing, 
when the sun is shining, there is no need for all the strip mining. When it is calm or the sun has gone away, hydro and nuclear power are here to save the day. Clean power forever within our grasp. Wind, nuclear, solar up to the task. Hydro, geothermal too. Clean power forever. Our world made new. Clean power forever, no CO2. Clean power forever, we must pursue. Clean power forever, no CO2. <laughs> oh my god that totally uh, made my day i couldn't stop smiling the whole uh, time. i'm glad you liked it <laughs> i love it it's, it's, so uh, awesome. it's good fun um my dog was also very excited yeah. she tried to start dancing with me yeah. <laughs> through the song i don't know if you'll be able to hear that in the recording but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i love it i wish i'm gonna try to like sing it okay. myself so if you want to send yeah, the lyrics get in there that's one of the things that kept me sane through this <laughs> pandemic is uh seeing karaoke uh just at home with you know close friends uh over the internet <laughs> stuff like that oh hey it's not too late <laughs> oh i should have done that as well oh that's a good idea i know well, yeah. what an amazing way to end that episode thank you so much eric um so i guess before we jump off how can people follow you do you have a twitter i know yep you uh and Generation from that website you can certainly find our twitter instagram facebook channels um linkedin if you're on there <laughs> uh yeah uh all of the usual ones if you search generation atomic you can find that our youtube channel um yeah i feel like we have to be you have to be everywhere these days which is wow it's actually it's kind of a work to spread your content around so much but um it's important that we're, we are where the people are <laughs> absolutely yeah and i will be sending this around as well and hopefully we can work together with Quantaloop somehow and we can support nuclear energy a little bit more. Yeah, let's make it rain cues. <laughs> outreach. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Coming soon. Hey, yeah. you too. <laughs> <laughs>